Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. All right, Dan. So... Um, Let's talk about the government. I mean, actually, right before we started taping, we were having probably a much more fun conversation. Yeah, about, you're, you're fresh off your Star Wars adventure. Yeah, about just me just seeing Rogue One. Um, and, and I would predict that if we kept that conversation going, it would probably be a little bit more interesting <laughs> than... Uh, that's no way to get people excited. I know, that's true. That's true. Well, I'm trying to think, is there a way to, t- to, to further tie in and make every single podcast about some weird odd connection between Star Wars and the government workforce? I'm sure there is. And, and maybe we should do a whole thing on procurement and the Death Star, like what so it would take. So you're thinking you're going to try to double the audience by getting Star Wars people. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so um, what I did want to talk to you about today, um, actually, I, t- I texted you a few days ago when I saw this article in the Washington Post about Newt Gingrich. Um, and, you know, it was kind of his, you know call to, to, to President-elect Trump to, to take, quote, take aim on the federal bureaucracy um, and, and really go after uh, bureaucratic waste aggressively. Um, there was not a lot of specifics in the article, and, and I don't know if, uh, if former Speaker Gingrich has a particular set of, uh, of ideas, but I thought what you and I could do today is talk about the practical reality of of cutting into the federal bureaucracy because I, I think it's doable, um, but it's completely not as easy as, um, as as it would seem on paper. And what I wanted to do is uh, delve into that a bit. Yeah, and I actually, um, before that article came out, and I, I don't think he was actually referring to my Medium post because I, I, <laughs> I, I don't, don't think sell yourself I don't short. Think he's one of the twenty-three people who read it, but I'd done a Medium post on this idea of the relative scale of the frontline service providers and agencies versus the administrative support, um, the tooth versus tail uh, ratio of the federal government. And I think that, you know, again, you have to kind of read through the, you know, the very strong rhetoric, but I think, you know, I think behind it, perhaps there's some willingness to start looking at issues like the relative size of, you know, the the service supporting bureaucracy versus the service delivery bureaucracy. And I think this is something that, that commercial entities do all the time, like find, trying to find that, that right balance. I, I like the tooth to tell um, analogy, you know, like what's, what's actually mattering on the ground every day towards delivering services to citizens and, and, and across the whole spectrum of, of, of agency missions versus what's going on in the deep background. Not to say that stuff in the tail is always irrelevant. These organizations have to stand on some foundation, and there are things that, that happen in these organizations that when you look at them by themselves might not see all that, seem all that relevant to the mission, but, but connected together with other support activities, the organization couldn't function. So the, the, the issue is not to eliminate that because then you'd have no real organization. The question is how do we, how do we find that right balance so that you are of an efficient organization and not, not a bloated one? Yeah, no, and I think it's interesting. The comments I received back, I posted it also on my LinkedIn site. The comments I received back were very, very thoughtful, but 
it, it started veering towards this issue of whether um, being willing to dive into the relative uh, cost and value of certain activities is associated with one partisan view or another. Yeah, I, and, and again, we've talked about this on the previous podcast. Every presidential campaign dating back forever has had some variation of the theme of coming in to fix Washington. And uh, invariably, part of fixing Washington is attacking red tape and the bureaucracy and cutting costs and balancing the budget and doing all these things. Um, one of the interesting things, just that, again, a lot of people don't realize is the whole concept of balancing the budget I mean, you could virtually eliminate the federal workforce inter or cut the, everyone's salaries in half um, and cut the workforce in half, um, and, and, and you're not going to put a huge dent into, into the debt trajectory and our deficit. Those numbers are driven almost exclusively by things like the rising cost of so Social Security, the rising cost of Medicare entitlement programs. Um, you know, you... That is really what drives kind of the fiscal picture of the U.S. government. And a lot of what we do uh, to, to kind of eliminate bloat in the bureaucracy is, is important, but shouldn't be looked at through the lens of this is how we balance the budget. This is how we get rid of the deficit. Instead, it needs to be looked at through the lens of this is what a high-performing organization does, and we can probably be even more effective in our jobs if we can clean some of the stuff up that we no longer need. Yeah, so there are two things. There's there are two responses to that. One very supportive of what you said, and one I want to kind of push back a little and probe with you. One is you're right. If you look at the entire cost of salaries uh, in the federal budget, it's about two hundred and fifty billion dollars. And two hundred and fifty billion dollars. To your point, you cut it all, and you're you're not even halfway to um, the recent deficit numbers. Uh, never mind paying back the debt. Right. So you're still contributing to, you know, your debt load, and you've done you know, you've done nothing. So except to eliminate the government. <laughs> except to eliminate the entire and, government, which some people might like. But then you got to remember. Right. Well, no, that yeah, means you've, uh, you've eliminated the IRS, so you've actually eliminated the ability to bring in any money. So now you've actually. I you think know. you're still hitting on a theme that many Americans might appreciate. Yeah, right, right. Well, but let's, you know, but you're eliminating things like air traffic controllers and food safety inspectors and the type of things that we've talked about and and soldiers um, who are who are protecting us and 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 border protection agencies and the Coast Guard and FEMA and all these things that at the end of the day, um, I think if 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 you really sat down with 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 every American and asked them if they want these things happening, they would say yes. But but this is where I think the the problem is conflating this idea of reducing the number of federal employees reduces the cost to government. Um, I think that what it really, folks who are really thoughtful about it should say, how do we align those human resources towards actually delivering the services uh, in a more efficient and effective way? Because the, the cost to salaries, as you point out, is a fraction, a small fraction, not even a meaningful fraction of the expenditure. But those people are in charge of processes that actually deliver those outcomes that do represent the majority of the expenditures. So if they were actually provided the tools, the systems, the structure, the policy that actually made it possible for them to deliver their, their outcomes more effectively, more efficiently, in a way that was measured and more transparent, I would argue that would go a long way yeah. to reducing the, the deficit. Yeah, I agree. And I also think we need to talk about that there's, just, there's an important um, dimension of 
government waste that that relates to citizens' trust in government. And this is one thing that I've I've grappled with, but then kind of come to terms with over the course of my career. Because I've spent I spent a good portion of my my time at, at at the Office of Management and Budget thinking about worrying about and actually being held accountable for 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 government waste that on the grand scale is some was sometimes egregious but but was dust budget dust compared to the to to other activities that were going on so an example would be i th- i think this happened back in in 2004 or 5 um that there, there was like two events that happened at the same time one was um uh one uh agency's inspector general came out and it was critical that they had spent fifty thousand dollars on a uh, on a tent that was that was uh, uh, put out uh, outside the organization's headquarters for a retirement party, um, and this was you know front page news and getting a lot of attention, and, and it was fifty thousand dollars. And that same week, I could have pulled out thirty or forty other stories that were uh, had 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 hundreds of millions of dollars of impact. Um, you know, a particular IT system that was behind schedule, let's say, where I was, you know, working with the agency to try to get it back on schedule. Nobody was reporting on that. And and part of part of this whole notion of kind of a bloated bureaucracy, and I think I think uh, former Speaker Gingrich was was tapping into that a bit, is that even if it doesn't turn the budget upside down and solve all, all the budget problems, it symbolically represents a broader part of what frustrates people about government. And so you have to take it seriously. Right. I think you have to take it seriously. I think about the scandal that, you know, led me to take over GSA. Right. And spend eight hundred thousand dollars on a party, which is insane. I mean it's it's unjustifiable. It it was, you know, it was indefensible. But it also you would need to have one million of those parties in order to get close to what the deficit was in the year that it happened. And so that's the big issue is we're, we're stealing time and bandwidth and, and, and focusing on these. I mean, just months of labor went into the response to that. Luckily, we used it to uh, leverage uh, you know, broader visibility into the program and dramatically reduce the, you know, we cut 1,000 staff from GSA just through attrition after that but the fact is you know do you do you let these incidents be the news or do you actually use it to go do the very 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 hard work that 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 is necessary to actually reform the efficiency and effectiveness well, I think it's of these agencies? it's going to be the it's both right it's going to be the I, I think again that's what I meant when I said like I've come to terms with the fact that you can have a hundred good days in a row with um, every single penny of taxpayer dollars uh, spent as intended without anything egregious going on. And that, and that hundred first day, um, if something, if someone goes and uses their government charge card at a, at a store or venue, they're not supposed to, you know, someone does something like, like the 10th thing um, that I described earlier, you know, that can, you know, basically dominate the news story, and and uh, for for an afternoon or a few afternoons in GSA, it was a, f- a few weeks or months of just constant pounding away at everything that's war- wrong with government spending. Um, it's a real shame, but it's something that that as a government you 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 have to deal with. And and so what you, what you try to do is 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 take accountability when it when it occurs, 
um, I think, in the way that, that the previous leadership at GSA did, and then, and then use it, as you just described, as, as a launching point. Like, the silver lining here, there's a couple. I always point out there's a couple of really great silver linings when a bad government waste story comes out. One is, is that it came out. Like, someone found it. Right. right, and it's now public, and there's this there's this tremendous sense of importance around the fact that in in our democracy and and and, and the way our government works, that we have these inspectors generals and these others like shining sunlight on these situations, whether it's a you know a ten thousand dollar mistake or a ten million dollar mistake, um, and there's something that should give give the public comfort about that 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 the process works when these things are are surfaced. Um, and the other thing is, is that usually creates a rallying cry for for good things. I mean, it's a shame that it happened, but sometimes, and I think the GSA is a good example. You took one step back, but two steps forward. Um, not that you would ever want to redo that party again. It was right. it, it, it was that does, egregious. That's not the suggestion that people go out and no, do something no, dumb no. so that they can then have the opportunity to no, do something smart. I think the no, but the part. Of, but we're we're constantly improving. Right. You know, you have to at least try to take a moment and recognize that that the government is on a continuous improvement journey including auditors getting better at finding this stuff is part of that but i can also say that what it did is deposit another thin layer of bureaucracy on top of the already groaning processes in the form of the conference approval process now. oh yeah which i was running by the right. way at I, I know yeah. i know that's, that's why i was looking at you about yeah. this but this idea now, and and with no sunset, so I think maybe forever, deputy secretaries will have to sign off personally on conferences. Yeah, you know it's funny um, that was so. So I think to give that some context, um, and then tell a quick funny story. Um, so so the conference scandal happens in uh, 2012, um, and. You know, a, a lot of people could argue that we overmodulated, overreacted to it, uh, because there really was a, almost a, for for a while almost a virtual ban on conferences, and that started to bleed into government travel as well. Right, right. Um, when I a year after the GSA Las Vegas conference, when I went to the IRS and started um, kind of understanding some of their operations and operational challenges. One thing I learned when I went out into the field was people weren't traveling as much. And that means like not even going from like, you know, uh, you know, Oakland to <laughs> San Francisco uh, to, uh, to to do some extra supervision or whatever was needed. And, and when I was figuring out, trying to figure out why that was, I, tr- I traced it very quickly back to the travel policies that OMB was issuing that I had been issuing previously and that the whole federal community was basically um, risk averse about doing any type of discretionary travel whatsoever. And then after I left government, I was uh, doing some type of faculty course or teach. Or there's a, it was a room full of people and, and I was doing something on, who knows, risk management, crisis management, whatever it was. And this guy stood up to ask a question, but it really wasn't a question. He just really just started publicly berating me about the fact that uh, the damage that, that I had personally done to scientific research mm. because of the OMB conference memos that were really had a detrimental impact on National Science Foundation and other activities and kind of bringing scientists together to collaborate. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've often thought, like, what did we 
did we overreact in that situation and have more negative repercussions than were necessary to try to deal with the GSA well, and issue? I, and I think this comes back to this this point that treating the entire, you know, uh, all the federal employees as as a monolith and saying, look, if we're going to fight, quote unquote, government waste, we got to fight that monolith. Yeah. It ignores the point that actually they're all very, very different missions. They're all very, very different people. They're all very, very different operations and systems. Um, and uh, adding layers and layers, treating them as if they were all the same means you're going to have some serious unintended consequences. Yeah, this is a good segue because what I, you know, going back to this point of like, how do you cut waste? How do you reduce bureaucracy and reduce administrative expenditure? However you want to think about it. it it's hard for, for a couple of different reasons. One is what we just described. Like if you don't do it surgically enough, you could end up with the unintended consequences for, this is a great example, in the GSA conference issue, going back, if, if, if us cutting all those conference spending, not only did we create new administrative processes that may be unneeded, if you kind of look at it from a, from a bit of a distance, um, but also um, may have had detrimental impacts on scientists getting together to collaborate. And it, I think that's starting to get back to normal, but, um, but that wasn't the intention. But so, so, so that's part of the challenge. I also think, and this is really where I want to kind of take the conversation, there are pain points anytime you try to cut federal spending. Like somebody stands to lose. Um, and that's okay, but often that can create inertia before you can actually get the change in. Or slow, not just slow, but reduce the size and scale of the change you want to undertake. So who are the stakeholders? Well, obviously federal employees are the first, or, you know, is, is one way of thinking about it. Like cutting the federal workforce means that has a direct impact on those individuals personally. It means less jobs in a particular area, whether that be the national capital region or, you know, we have federal workers all over the country. So if, you know, we want to shut down an operation that, let's say, is redundant, that, that, that employs 100 people in Columbus, Ohio, that's 100 people in Columbus, Ohio uh, that are now unemployed. Let um, me, let me yeah. jump in there. I think that there's a, there's a really good set of uh, uh, points to be made around that that really uh, should be instructive to the incoming administration so that they understand if this is a focus area, what one of their big challenges will be, um, and that is both working with those um, those uh, you know affected parties, but really working with Congress as the chief affected party. The uh, the other point you made that I think is a it's, is is I want to tease an upcoming podcast. You talked a little bit about you know how do you define what those administrative services are? How do you understand what the relative efficiency is? And in, uh, in our next week's podcast, uh, which we had taped a while ago with, with Beth Cobert, the, cur the current uh, director of the Office of Personnel Management, she talks about uh, one of her uh, really cool things she worked on that, that we worked on together, uh, which we call the Boring Good, which was these uh, administrative services benchmarks. But right now we got to take a, a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the role of Congress in helping presidents uh, focus on making government more efficient. Great. GovActually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop. 
as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. And Seamless Docs, the fastest, easiest way to move all your administrative data collection processes to the cloud. Seamless Docs helps make government beautiful. Okay, we're back, and uh, uh, we got everyone excited about the idea about uh, how do you cut, uh, how do you, how do you create a more effective and efficient uh, federal government, uh, recognizing that a good chunk of the power to make it happen or not happen is with the Congress of the United States. I think everyone I know has a, uh, in government who's tried to uh, to do something to transform it in a more efficient way has at least one interesting story about how it seemed like the exact right thing to do, but local politics got in the way somehow. Because I right before the break, I mentioned, you know, you, you want to combine two offices, let's say, because they're redundant functions. Um, and so that could mean that 100 people in Columbus, Ohio, either need to move to West Virginia or Washington, D.C., or otherwise uh, get a new job. And, um, and typically, um, that will result in, whether it's local politicians in that area, in this case, I chose Columbus at random, um, the Ohio delegation of Congress, whoever it is, is going to come and say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This, these are these are my constituents here, right. and these are these are jobs we're for, that are f- we're for more efficient government somewhere else. So that can happen. That <laughs> right. can happen, and it, well, and it happens often. Tip O'Neill uh, famously said that all politics is local. I have the Tangerlini axiom, which is all local politics is personal. So, you know, in this instance, it's like, look, we want a more efficient Department of Agriculture. We're going to close regional extension offices. Which means perhaps the one in Columbus, Ohio, in which someone says, wait a minute, that's my regional extension office. Or a congressman says, that's in my district. Or someone says, that's my committee. Um, it's, you know, personal. Yeah. And then you have to start, you know, convincing people that it's in their best interest to do something that's in the best interest of the community, even if it costs them personally something. And this, this, there's, there's many different flavors of this. It's not just people. It's like you want to cancel a contract. Well, that contractor stands to lose bottom line. That contractor happens to be headquartered in somebody's congressional district, right? Um, you want to, you know, you want to shut down a building, which is a good example for for you to use. You just use the the USDA one. Well, I used it for a reason because the USDA has this uh, very fascinating limitation on one of their components. There's a component of USDA which has over two thousand field offices spread across the country. And someone put a provision in their appropriations bill that if they want to close the office, the assistant secretary, the actual person in charge of that whole component of USDA, has to go and do a public hearing in that community. That sounds reasonable, right? That sounds fair. But if you have 2,000 of them, and so you are getting to one every day for a year, uh, the most you could do is 200. So it would take you 10 years to get through all of them, take you a whole year to get through 10%. Yeah. And again, I, it, part of me feels like, feels like it's obviously such a, a, an insane <laughs> outcome. I mean, part of me also feels like there's good public policy behind, uh, behind thing. I think the, the, the point of the public hearings is to make sure that there's recognition and understanding that shutting these things down has as we talked before, other impacts like local economic impacts, people losing jobs, economic. Like if you 
if you go to picture a federal building somewhere in your community, okay, not only is that housed with people working in it, so that's good. They have if it's good if you if you think about it through that lens of you've got people gainfully employed, earning a salary, paying taxes, being productive members of of the community. Um, okay, yeah. let's say you shut that down, but in and around that building there are restaurants. Uh, that are serving lunch and hot dog stands and coffee shops um, and, uh, and, and copier and, and office supply places, all kind of being fueled in some way, shape, or form by that federal office building. And if that federal office building suddenly goes away, it has negative economic impact. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't shut that building down if it's the right thing to do for the, for the, for the government's budget and for the mission of the organization. It's just a recognition that every step you take sometimes has these negative consequences. And, and it's my message back to former Speaker Gingrich is, is if the Trump administration is going to start really slashing spending, I just want them to do it with eyes wide open that there are going to be these tensions and it's going to either slow them down if they don't have a plan to address it or reduce the scale of the cutting if they don't have a plan to deal well, with and it. I, and I think it's, you know, this is the, the most elaborate and complicated institution we have in this country and perhaps one of the most elaborate and complicated, if not the most elaborate and complicated in the world. The problem, I think, is that people get frustrated with how elaborate and complicated and convoluted it is. So they they just uh, default to, um, you know, they're just going to whack at it. You know, and I had a, a senator in, a, in, in one of the meetings I was doing before my confirmation hearing. You, you go around and you talk to them and hopefully you convince them that you're... That you're an okay guy. Yeah, that you're an okay guy, <laughs> yeah. that you know what you're talking about, that you... Um, I usually uh, talked about my wife in those sessions because yeah. she's more impressive than oh, me. And, That's and, a good strategy. And they're like, I'll well, if you married down. smart, then right. you must be a smart guy. I'll mark that down. <laughs> the other thing you're trying to discern is whether they're going to just crush you when you, when you go to the hearing. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully exactly. they'll, or they'll get it off their chest beforehand. Um, yeah, but, but then I, that's why you talk about your wife because I don't want to beat up that guy too bad. He has such a nice yeah, family. Yeah, it's a very nice <laughs> you show a picture. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, that's why people bring their families I know, to the hearings. I know. But, uh, um, uh, anyway, so this particular senator said to me, it was kind of in a rhetorical way, he said, the only, isn't the only way to cut the federal government with a meat axe? And uh, I, I was trying to argue for something more subtle than that. And I said, well, what about a, a, a butcher's knife? You know, something you would slice off the marbling with. And subsequent to that, uh, I, I really dawned on me that the actual answer is the only way to get you know, fat off of anything that's alive is is really through diet and exercise. Yeah, I think that's, I love that that analogy. So, but how, so talk to about that from like a practical standpoint. So, real estate optimization in the in the government. Exactly. Like, so, 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 diet, how, so, how does that play out? Diet, meat cleaver diet, versus diet. Yeah, diet and exercise means you know instead of looking at the budget as this one year thing, where you could make these big whacks that have actually, you know, second year higher costs, second year and out year higher costs. If you were to cut 10% of the workforce today, you would not realize $25 billion of savings. You would not. You would have to pay them severance. You would have to, you know, you'd have to buy them out. There are certain contract requirements. There's healthcare implications of all these people who would suddenly, you know, retire and now be retiree uh, healthcare recipients rather than employee healthcare recipients. Um, so I think what you have to do 
is really look at the outcomes you're trying to deliver, really set meaningful goals and measures, and then start working backwards from there. But that, you know, that sounds, um, that sounds hard, but that's, that's the way they teach it in business school, actually. Yeah. If you really want to improve the outcome and operation of any um, entity, you really have to ask yourself, what is that entity supposed to be doing? So I have a good example, I think, of a, a diet and exercise approach versus a meat cleaver approach. And that is, um, let's say your objective is you want a smaller federal workforce, right? But you start in and you run into all of these challenges, you know, whether can, it's... Can I stop yeah, you right there? Yeah. That's the wrong objective. Okay. Right? Saying I want a smaller uh, federal workforce. We could do that. We could have a smaller federal workforce tomorrow and still be spending more money and still be producing bad outcomes. All right, let me try again. <laughs> right? Well, I agree. I agree. It really comes down to outcomes. Is you have to say what you don't want to do. All right, I'll rephrase. I'll rephrase the question, Your but, Honor. But yeah. you, no, but you you've seen this with with um, with some of the work that you've done around areas like BRAC. You know, people think that BRAC was about shutting down military bases. Ultimately, it was. But what it was really about was asking the question is, what is the military fighting force we need for the next 20 years? What is the infrastructure that supports that force, which is addressing specific threats? And then what's left after that? And how do you get rid of it? No one is doing that with the well, domestic let's, let's talk. Let's talk about that, because then, now, then I'll have two examples uh, practical examples for thinking through how do you how do you break through and cut government. So I think what's really interesting about BRAC, which is uh, base realignment and closure, and just some 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 uh, historical perspective uh, at a very high level, um, the, the the history of, of this program was that it's it's as we've been talking about, it's difficult to shut down federal installations because of the local political impacts. I think there was a a, a conclusion reached probably in the 70s or 80s that um, that the uh, infrastructure of the U.S. Uh, militaries uh, in the United States, in particular, um, was had outsized its need and its mission, and so there was an opportunity to save money and to improve overall mission delivery and become more efficient if we right-sized the the real property and infrastructure inventory of the, of the U.S. government. But they couldn't do it um, as readily as they wanted because of the local politics. Because shutting down an installation in a local economy can be devastating. It's like it's like taking the the University of North Carolina out of Chapel Hill. You don't have much left after you do that. So if you take military installation out of Fayetteville, North Carolina, the the ones that exist down there, that can that can that would potentially devastate the the Fayetteville economy, um, and therefore uh, it could not get done. And so how did they approach it? They approached it with this program where basically they they had a, a commission, an independent commission put forward a list of installations that should be realigned or closed to Congress for up or down vote. And what it did was it prevented or, or mitigated the ability of one local jurisdiction of impacting the result. So if there was an installation to be shut down in Southern California um, and it was on the list, the way the, the program was intended to run is that the delegation and the local politicians from Southern California couldn't on their own stop the process from happening. And so it, it, and it, it essentially worked. This, this commission that put this list together uh, for, for a broader up or down vote by Congress meant that pain points were absorbed by local economies and local political officials who lost 
um, real estate in their in their locations. And big part of it was that there was a back end program to support those communities when they lost those yeah. facilities because a military facility is is a huge has a huge impact on a local economy. Oh yeah, it's 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 really devastating. It can be it can be devastating. So I would I think I would be fighting too right. uh, from the local community to keep that installation open. And this is what. It's the right thing to do to fight for it if you're in that local community. But also when you take a step back and you look at it, if everyone's fighting and none of these things are getting closed, then we still are in the same situation where the infrastructure is outsized from mission and it can degrade mission. Right. But but the point is, is that this list that was put together by this independent commission for up or down vote by the Congress was a it's evidence that you can break through some of that local politics if you're willing to create this special channel for things to happen. Yeah, but it's not the channel. It's really that broader outcome they were trying to achieve. That list wasn't a, a random list. No, you know, no, you're it wasn't, right. It, was it wasn't alphabetical. Yeah. It was, you know, in in theory, it had its um, uh, it had its basis on a long term vision of force projection and support. Yeah, and I think it's a great. It's a great analogy and a great example, and I think it's one of one of the key points that I want to leave listeners with in this sense is that if, if over and over again trying to cut government activities in advance of mission, not just for cutting sake, but in advance of mission to try to optimize and and, and right size the government's infrastructure carrying out its mission, if over and over again you run into that same result that you you that the, that there's one or two or three individual people or entities or institutions that that causes pain to and then they have the power to stop it that keeps happening again and you look up and you're like well we're really not making the progress that we want well you have to make this decision are you going to continue doing that same road or are you going to change the rules of the game in some way so that you can move forward even though pain points are absorbed by some people and some entities the the BRAC example is one in which they changed the rules of the game. They changed the go-forward approach, said enough of this trying to do it on a one-off. We have to take a different approach. And that is a potential thing that the Trump administration might want to think about. They might want to learn lessons from history and understand that sometimes even shutting down a tiny office of 20 people in Columbus, Ohio, can be super, super difficult. And they can fight those battles one at a time. And that's what a lot of administrations have done and have had some success, but also a lot of setback. Or they can rethink the whole framework. And, and, I, and I think, yeah, and I think if they walk away saying, oh, we need a civilian BRAC, we had those conversations yes. in, in the outgoing Obama administration. And actually, this was one of the comments I was making. A civilian BRAC just isn't a list of buildings that, you know, you're trying to shut down. It has to be based on some bigger theory of the case. And you raised the example of uh, office space just because it was something we worked on a lot together. There, are, there is the ability to reduce the amount of office space the federal government needs by easy 30% by dramatically increasing the efficiency of the way people consume that space through mobility, through more shared office, frankly, through just diet and exercise of that space. But it means making an investment in reconfiguring that space. It may mean making an investment in uh, buying out leases. But the way the whole um, budget game is played, particularly with things like, you know, uh, meat axes like sequester, there isn't more money to make the investments. What you do is you keep doubling and tripling down on these very inefficient uh, locations. 
rather than making a small upfront investment that allow you to save multiples in the out years. Yeah, and so what I think what we're arguing for is a more strategic approach, thinking holistically about where you want your organization to go. Not so it's 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 instead of shoot aim. It's, you know, and, you know, because uh, using uh, uh, former Speaker Gingrich's language, or at least the way the Washington Post uh, framed it around taking aim. But so, so there is some. Ready, fire, aim. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's some, there's some planning and, and thought in terms of what is that critical path and what is that journey? You know, don't cut first and ask questions later, but figure out, like, what is the target operating environment that you want uh, that's more efficient and more effective? And then what's the right journey? to go on to get to that target operating environment? And then how do we deal with stakeholder, entrenched stakeholder viewpoints that are going to make that critical path difficult? And, and so you need to have a battle plan for all of that. Let me, let me give you another example. So we talked about the battle plan around stakeholders, and, and BRAC is one idea for how to, how to rethink um, how local politics can, uh, can prevent things. One of the examples I wanted to give is, is the fact that I think there's an opportunity um, to reshape government right now, given how many people are retirement eligible in the federal workforce. If you look at the demographics of the federal workforce, we are it's an aging workforce. Um, and, and each year, the, the percentage of retirement eligibles grows. I think, you know, just, just consistent with, with, with other demographics in the United States. In, in 2010, the baby boom generation started, the first wave of baby boomers started to retire. And that is now, you know, cresting and increasing. Um, so what does that mean for the U.S. government? That if, if I'm running an organization right now, I can now look at a, tra- a likely trajectory of a significant part of my workforce that's going to be retiring over the next four years. Um, and for me, the question then becomes is how do I want to reshape my organization, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to remove layers. This is an opportunity to potentially consolidate offices in and around this anticipated increase in, in attrition. So rather than just say in a, in a very simple way, well, I'm just not going to fill these jobs. Like for every job that that that's that leaves, I'm not. Uh, I'm let's say of five jobs that that are attrited through retirement, I'm only going to fill one of them, or some kind of ratio that you come up with. Instead. Think through what is how do I want the, the shape of my organization to be because this attrition is going to give me an opportunity to reshape it. So and I and I think uh, this whole idea of uh, reshaping agencies around outcomes uh, in a way that makes them more efficient and effective, maybe making necessary investments to give them the right tools and the right space. This is the this is a real long term strategy for dramatically improving the efficiency and effectiveness of the government. And it can shrink the workforce along the way, but doing it in a smart, thoughtful um, diet and exercise kind of way. Reshaping the workforce is a part of the conversation we have with Beth in uh, the next uh, 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 podcast. And then I think we should come back after that and talk more about some of these ideas about how you can actually go, what, what it looks like to go do the hard work to kind of reshape and reform agencies. Yeah, uh, my closing thought is is I, I, I'm a fan of success stories where government waste is cut, where you, can, where you can build citizens' trust by showing that we're watching every penny. So the message here uh, is not to celebrate uh, 
to, to avoid celebrating cuts. I, I think that's part of the, the, the path we're on to show, to, show, to show the country that the government's getting better. But I think our message is, is that it's part of a larger strategy where some of the fringe benefits of that strategy are success stories around smaller, leaner, faster, more cost-effective. Uh, but if but but you got to place it into a larger strategic context in order to 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 do it in the correct way. I think. Right, and I think that's that's a really good point. You, you used at the end some very um, affirmative kind of uh, uh, words rather than the deficit-based kind of words of waste and cutting. Even the word efficiency um, uh, has a which is sad. I love that word, but it has a certain negative connotation to the federal workforce. Ideas, though, of focusing on improving outcomes, dramatically improving effectiveness, giving people the right tools and technology and reshaping uh, the workforce to kind of deliver services and the expectation that people have in the 21st century, that's positive, that's affirmative, and, and everyone can get by. And when you do it, you end up with a, a gift at the end of it, which is a list of success stories you can tell that get into this concept of we created a smaller government, a more effective and, and lean, and we cut. But again, it's back to the what do you emphasize first? And I think our message is emphasize the mission, emphasize strategic improvement to your activities. Emphasize outcomes. And make sure that your critical path involves, as a part of it, cost effectiveness and cutting waste. Absolutely. All right, Danny. Thanks a All lot. All right. We'll see you next time.